Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Bonafide Moto Show. I'm your host, Joe Fleming, also known as So Tall Right Now on uh, the old Instagram. And it's been an absolute pleasure to host this show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night for the past six weeks. Can you believe it? Um, This is now episode 17. I honestly did not think I would still be doing these. However, due to everyone's messages, phone calls, comments, um, you guys keep me wanting to uh, bring more people onto the show. Um, So we've still got another week next week filled up of guests. And uh, so we're going to keep bringing you the Bonafide Moto Show. Um, We've got some really great guests for next week, but I won't be able to tell you until later uh, this week. Um, The show is made possible by our partners at Motul, who, as you know, have great quality oil for your motorcycles, boats, cars, you name it, they do it. Um, If you've ever been on a trip Um, Am I the only person that can't hear? Can anyone not hear me? Um, I see Rich says he can't hear. Can everyone hear me? Yes? No? Um, Rich, maybe check your volume? I don't know. Yeah? Yes, you are, Rich. Maybe um, I'm going to message Rich now. Nope. Um, Hopefully he'll sign out. Cool. Um, So, yeah, getting back... um, um, so we, if you've ever been on any of our trips, we've got the Motul MC Care, we call it the Motul Box, um, and it's got a full range of all the Motul products that they've got, anywhere from chain cleaners, uh, washes, um, hand cleaners, helmet cleaners, everything. So once this whole lockdown thing is done, um, really encourage you to, um, you can go to our website, we'll let you guys know where you can find some of the MC Care range. Um, you can find it at Triumph South Africa. I know there's a lot of other dealers out there as well. Um, the show is also made possible by our friends at Jack Black. Again, once this whole lockdown thing ends, then you can taste their fine lager. Um, I think I have two more left. So I'm saving those for a special occasion. Um, but uh, And once we get back to our normal trips and adventures, uh, you'll definitely see Jack Black Lager at all of our events. Um, if you um, if you've missed any of our episodes, any of our shows, you can go to Apple Podcast, search Bonafide Moto Show, and you can pull up all of our um, all of our old shows from there. And um, tonight's guest, I'm really excited about. It's really weird. Um, I've actually had dreams about this guy for the past two nights. Not sexual dreams, just like he's been on my mind um, because I think he's like he's just a different guest to have on the show. And um, I'm really excited. I've got to meet. Uh, so tonight's guest is Rich Mulholland. He's very well known for being a speaker. Um, he owns Missing Link. And um, I've, I've had the pleasure to have breakfast with him several times. Alan and I used to meet up with him um, in Melrose and and um, I think it was like once a month we would meet up with him and chat and. He's a really great guy, and he's had some really 
great motivational talks that have been featured on, uh, he's had TED Talks and Goalcast. Um, but he's a really great guy. And, and, um, I'm just really excited to have him on the show. And I, I, I wasn't quite sure what questions I wanted to ask and where I wanted to take the conversation. Um, but he does have a motorcycle and he's got a unique way of, um, using his motorcycle as an outlet. Um, so I'm looking forward to having him on the show. So without further ado, Rich, I'm coming for you, buddy. I'm going to send you, I see he sent me a request already. So let's see. Connects it. Stand by. We will wait. And hopefully he can hear me. Yeah. I can hear him. Oh, no. Oh, I shit. That problem. Rich? Okay. So, okay. I think your Instagram is not up to date. <laughs> when we had this problem before. Um, there is option two. Um, can you hear? I think he's going to disconnect anytime soon. Can you hear me, Rich? Oh, man. We have technical difficulties every once in a while. Um, Alan, if you are on the call, I saw you were. See if you can uh, message him or phone him and ask him to update Instagram, or he can go live and I will join his call. Um, that is another option. Um, sometimes these things happen. Swear, Joe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Al's going to sort out. I'm going to try to connect with Rich one more time. Um, you know, this whole internet technology thing, it has its pros and cons. Um, and every once in a while, we run into a problem. So we are uh, waiting on uh, Rich to maybe hopefully update Instagram. Um, we found out when we had the call with Andy a few weeks ago that um, I think it was my Instagram that wasn't up to date. So I wasn't able to connect. Okay, Rich is back. Let's try this again. Where's Rich? Rich is there. Add cross fingers. Come on. I hope this works. No, damn it. No, damn it. So I can hear you. Okay, so Rich, um, I think what we might do, what worked last time, is if you can go live on Instagram and then add me to the call. Can you, could you hear me? Oh, there he is. Yes. Got you. Holy That's shit. Awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, thank cool. goodness we live in a world where, like, downloading a new app of 28 megs takes about two seconds. It's like, wow. Yes. No, it's a really good thing, especially like our, our local host has like doubled our capacity for lockdown. So right. everything's going much faster. Sure. I'm glad that worked. We, we had this problem a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh no, like it was a guy we were supposed to do it. He was going to do a live music performance and, um, and the same thing happened. So I'm glad we could connect now. Because I joined from my side and I could see you. It was you who were saying I wasn't working. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well. well, here we are. Thanks for dreaming about me. This is, that's very special. I'm going to go and try and lock this in and dream about you tonight. Your beard is something to dream <laughs> about. Dude, I, I promise you, I told Mona, dude, I don't know what it was. Um, it was just thoughts that you, you, you weren't there, but I was <laughs> just thinking of the show 
What am I going to ask Rich? Where's it going to go? So that's good. That's good. I'll, awesome. I'll take that. Yeah. And I had so, a, so I had a did... chat today with Al. So all good. All good. Fantastic. Yeah. And how are you? I'm, I'm really good. I'm doing, I'm in a good space. Uh, it's been, okay. this is, I uh, reignited my passion with my business. It's like really kickstarted it again. I didn't realize how bored I was of it and how much I wanted everything else to distract me from the tedium. And it's nothing if not tedious. I realized that I am an absolutely useless uh, cruising altitude CEO. It's the same reason actually I don't enjoy long rides. Like long rides, like I love riding and everyone always says to me, oh, come on a long ride. And I'm like, long rides on the open road. Like, all the fun of riding my motorcycle is dodging cars and problem solving. Going in long rides, sitting behind people, I just think like I don't, I genuinely don't understand it. Like the novelty of the wind and shit wears off quickly. Like, ah. Anyway, and so that's the same with my business and it's the same with everything. Like I've got to be doing something. Yeah. And, um, and, and that was actually one thing I wanted to, to ask you about was your, sorry, I need to open up a window. Um, was your riding style and, and you seem to be very like energetic. Um, you seem to have like a good constraint on uh, understanding of time. Um, with your time allocating time. So like, how is it with your relationship with a bike? And, you know, you, you just mentioned like, you don't do long trips. And for you, like a, a bike is, is a tool to get you to somewhere as fast as possible. Um, riding my bike is a, an amazing form. And this is gonna sound cheesy when I say it, except that it's just what it is. It's like a moving meditation, right? It scratches many itches uh, for me. But like, I have to be very dialed in. For, for me to get out of my bike what I want, I've got to be very dialed into the ride. And I find when I'm on a long road, then I can think about when I, everything else. Like, so I can get lost in the thoughts of things. And, but I, there's many places I can do that. What I like about being on my bike is, and why it's meditation, is that if I'm hyper-focused, like video game level focus, bombing through cars, taking sometimes silly little, you know those ones where you see that gap and you're like, ah, oh, I got this. And you, mm. yeah, I, I become so dialed in and I really, really enjoy it that actually my brain, it, it stops my brain from being allowed to think of anything else. So it shuts down everything in the world. It's why I always say to people that um, uh, like you can't gauge riders in the same way you gauge, gauge uh, uh, drivers. Like, because driving is passive and riding for me is an active, like there's nothing else happens. It is my active process. Whereas driving a car is often your passive process and your active process might be thinking of a business idea. Uh, I don't generally think of business ideas when I'm bombing down the highway, going, uh, you know, lane splitting and stuff like this. And for me, that's yeah. it. And whether it's on my triple or in my Vespa or my Bonnie, like uh, uh, whatever it is, they all provide that for me. My upper limits on probably ride length is about 90 minutes uh, at yeah. breakfast and then back. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it kind of makes sense that there's, there's definitely times where I think if I'm running late or I need to be somewhere really quickly, I don't think about anything else other than the gap that's in yeah. front of that car. And you know your bike, once you get to know your bike really well, you know if you can make that gap or not, and you know how close you can make it. So there's... I'm I'm not thinking of anything else in those moments as well. Didn't really yeah. didn't really cross my mind of, of that, but um, it is a way to kind of get rid of all the other noise. When I started riding, I, so first of all, uh, I, I was in love with snowboarding before I got my motorcycle, 
And I realized, my first thought was I realized that um, uh, riding and snowboarding, they scratch the identical. It's the same lane control thinking and things like this. And then my mm. second thought was that um, almost immediately after I started riding, I started playing video games. And I could never quite understand what it was. And it was that the level of focus and like that itch was scratched by riding to the point that I didn't need it. Like motorcycles in some way. I know this sounds like a terrible thing to say. And I certainly, I don't think I'm particularly reckless. But uh, motorcycles really were, they scratched that video game itch for me. I didn't feel the need to sit down and play a game because that rush and that, that hyper focus I got from uh, riding. Well, I still get from riding. Yeah, that, that's interesting because now with, with Corona, like I haven't been right today. I've picked up my motorcycle for the first time today and I think it's been 75 <laughs> days. And I, I've, I've been playing video games through Corona. And, and it's the only time where I can actually sit down for an hour and not think about other things. And I can just be in that moment where today on the bike uh, swapped out and I was able to be on the bike and enjoy that. Yeah, today was my first ride in six weeks. It was like <laughs> epic. But then I rode there. I had root canal and I rode back. And your first day that I rode a bike interrupted my root canal is not how I pictured it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I guess at least you got to ride to, to your root yeah. canal. It was amazing. Um, and riding back. It was amazing. Like, I loved it. I just absolutely <laughs> yeah, felt... So connected to my bike game. It's amazing how quickly you just get in the zone. Yeah, I was, um, I, I was, I just kind of like today, I, I went all kinds of loops, just wanted to take as much time as possible. And then I was riding somewhere near a park and I saw a couple cops. And then that's when like kind of reality sunk in. And I was like, okay, like don't venture too far because yeah, I, yeah, totally. I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble for, for some silly reason. So um, I'll go back out tomorrow, but I'll take a backpack and go get groceries. Do some shopping. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll do some shopping. So, Sorry. Um, so Rich, um, if you can, I know what's behind you. If you could tell everyone else who's watching what we are all looking at and what is your backdrop? Um, so my backdrop is a board game collection. Uh, so I've got about a thousand board games, different kind of hobby games and things like this you can see on different topics. Uh, and yeah, so like generally speaking, that is my, my go-to. One of my, I tend to always have obsessions and one of my obsessions is uh, uh, strategy games. And so I really like thinking, I, ha I realized that I have to be problem solving. My brain doesn't, it's the only space that my brain is happy is that I'm solving for something. Wow. You've got a, a complex brain that I doubt ever rests. <laughs> and, and no, and that's why writing is, is rest for my brain for me, isn't it? Because it's just such a single-minded focus. And do you feel that some of those games, like some of those games have helped you out in work um, and in and, and your job? I do, totally. The, the idea, the concept, like it actually changed everything. I, I learned that strategy was a broken mindset. Uh, the problem with strategy was an, too long. It's a dated formula for business for uh, that made sense in the 70s. I realized that we have to create conditions of victory and we have to be moving towards and working towards something. If I teach you a game, the first thing I teach you is how to win. And then everything I tell you from that point, you're parsing that knowledge with the mindset, but like, how do I win? And uh, in, our, in our game, in our business, we spend too much time moving forwards and not enough time moving towards. 
And as soon as I understood that, hey, I play games with intention. It's always with the condition of victory. I thought, what if I introduced victory conditions into my business? How can that change in directors? And it like turns it on in a big way. So much so that we started setting these as facilitation. So we go to large corporates, banks, insurance companies, and we actually play games, different hobby games with their leaders. And we get them to solve certain things in their brain, get their brain turned on to a certain problem-solving algorithm. And then we use that same metric and we remap the same game. We say like, okay, so what if this Roman chariot was this part of your business? And what if this was that? And, and like solving an abstraction is, is very easy. If I ask you to solve for your business, you're very close to it. It's like, shit, it's quite hard. But if I say to you, but hold on a second, you just solved this problem using this thinking here. If this was this in your business, why would you solve it differently? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. I'm like, yeah, there you go. And so having having metaphors uh, as a, a means of solving is, a, is like an amazing tool. And games are cool because they're not just stories. They're stories in which you're participating. So they, they perform functional metaphors for you. I know that's a bit too geeky, especially for a motorcycle show. Like we shouldn't be talking about board games and stuff. Right. But it, like, it gets my brain going. We've got a lot of entrepreneurs watching on the show. So it's awesome. helpful. Yeah. And here's the, here's the crazy thing for me um, is that Tofu. Uh, uh, the crazy thing for me is that uh, since lockdown started, uh, so uh, like two years ago, I played like 992 games in the calendar year. I was just so bummed because I didn't, if I'd known, I would have played a thousand because I logged all my plagues. Uh, since lockdown started, I've played two games and I couldn't understand why, but it was because everything that I needed to solve, I had to solve, like our business was destroyed. Like one day I walked to work and every single online, you know, we work in, uh, presentations and conferences and every single conference was canceled so all of our work stopped we had zero revenue and i'm a public speaker and every gig was canceled and then we just had to turn on the business back up and and uh figure out how we could uh just get it going again and that's been so much fun that i haven't actually needed to scratch the itch of uh, problem solving yeah. like i'm loving that this is, this is amazing yeah and I, I wondered that about you because like i i wonder like how how you would find ways to make something happen during this time if you've got all your gigs are canceled and other things are canceled what what sort of talents did you find within your business to sort of find new avenues well, so the first thing for me is always, um, it's never about the solution you provide, it's always about the problem you solve, right? That's the only thing that's interesting. If the problem changes, you've got to change your solution. It's like, it doesn't matter. Entrepreneurs, we fix a problem, we fill a gap. Subprint, and um, that's a relatively like easy thing for us. And so my first line of thinking was, uh, why do people throw the conferences that we create content for? It's to communicate and lead their people. And then the second thought was, well, is there a bigger need for leadership now or, or less of a need? And of course, the idea is there's a bigger need for vocal leadership. So we just then turned around and said, well, how do we solve for, for that and come up with some tools? And, and I reckon that we'll have a better business after this uh, because of it than we had going in. It, like, it'll take a dive. Like, we'll barely make it through. Even if, but even if we like, hit the ground and die, there, our reputation still exists. Right, so even if, if if the business goes out of business, but then the next day we kind of reawaken, uh, and uh, people still know who we are and they still know what we do, and if we can build a better business, because you know I started my business when I was twenty-two, uh, now I'm forty-five. I've learned a couple of things, and now I could build it better. The first time round, I just made it up, and it's a, it's a, it's a great company, but a shit business. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> you said you started uh, missing Link, right? When you were 22. And did you start missing Link before you started doing spe uh, speaking speaking gigs? Or like yeah, what yeah. came first? Yeah, so Missing Link came first for quite a while. So uh, 23 years ago, Missing Link uh, was founded. And just after my son was born, so 17 years ago, I started speaking. So I started speaking the year he was born. That's how I always remember. And what was the, and I, I feel like you have a, like a one sentence answer for this, but what was your, what was the gap that you saw the, in the reasoning why you created Missing Link? <laughs> because it doesn't matter if we, I was selling staging to companies, right? Uh, lighting, okay. sound, and AV, because that was my background. And what I realized, it didn't matter how good the show was. If I put on an amazing show and the CEO came running in, he was like, yeah, 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 shooting fireworks at his nipples, and then got onto the stage and did a crappy presentation, it was a crappy gig. But if I did absolutely no show, and this, this person just came out, and he or she rocked the stage by just delivering a message with such intent and, and you know, provoke the audience to doing something differently, then it was amazing. And I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm a cure for the wrong disease. Like, I'm solving the wrong problem here. You don't fix the garnish, you fix the steak. If the presentation is bad, you don't add fancy lights, you fix what the person says. So, and then I looked around and nobody was doing it. And I thought, wow, okay. And nobody wanted to do it because presentations and PowerPoints is the least sexy bit of design. It's like what everybody hates. So I was like, okay, fuck, you know, pick me. And that's what we did. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but um, did you, were you, I, I'm a, I feel like you're a good storyteller. And um, did you feel that like people weren't good storytellers and you wanted to try to help them try to, is it more understanding what their message is that they want to put out and how to deliver that? Well, actually, so I think story is the most overrated thing in presentation. Everyone always says, stand up and tell a story. Actually, story is a great tool, but it's, we talk about it being the peanut butter and the pill. If I want to give my dog some medicine, right, the pill, he needs the pill. Uh, but if I just give it to him, he won't take it. If I just give him some peanut butter, he'll take the peanut butter, but he won't get better. If I take the pill and I bury it in some peanut butter and I give it to him, he'll take them both. He'll hate me, but he'll get them both. And it's yeah. never, people think it's about the peanut butter, but it's never about the peanut butter. That's just the delivery mechanism. And one of the other things that people come to us all the time, and they'll say, you know, I've got this great story I want to tell. And we always say the same thing. And it's like, nobody gives a fuck about your story. Like, your story isn't that interesting. They care right. about how your story or what you're about to tell them can change their own story. Like, yes. I'm only caring about my movie. In my movie, I'm the star. In your movie, I'm just dude on the show on Wednesday. And, uh, like, your job with people is to audition for a better part in their story. And... So what I say to people is like, it's not about delivering your biography, but it's like the, it's taking your ideas. What would the business book of your brain be and building a talk around that? Uh, but also often in our case with our corporate clients is they confuse delivering information with activating an audience. And they don't actually have to say their job isn't to deliver information. Their job is to change the audience because they said something. So we start from that premise. We say, okay, well, what do you want them to do? Like, let's just start with that. And then what words can we say? First of all, how do we buy their attention? How do we make them give a shit? Then uh, why should they trust you? Then what should we tell them? And then what are you going to ask them to do? And we just take them on that journey. Well, okay. And um, Rich, you, um, before Corona, um, <laughs> Sorry. You, what kind of dogs do you have? You I've got, got like a... Uh,
a few. Yeah, we've got a papillon called Zombie, and uh, it's supposed to be Italian crested powder puff, but it's not. I mean, that's how can you say powder puff? Like, they will call it Siamese crested tank. Come here. He's named after motorcycle tanks. Come. And uh, uh, look, there's Zombie. That's the little yeah, one. I love dogs. Oh, and cute, there's man. Tank. There's oh, Chester. Cool. And Bennington is around somewhere. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you got four. Okay. No, no they're, they're two cats. It's actually four cats, two dogs, and a snail. We're, we're on similar paths. I've got three dogs <laughs> and two cats. Amazing. Uh, each one of them has their own fucking problems. It's, um, yeah, dude. it's an interesting life here at the small house. And every single park. one, every single animal we get into the house, stop item, every single animal we get in the house, I go one step lower in the pecking order of importance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, and my my next question was was about family. Um, you seem to be like very busy uh, or very active, and you spend a lot of time at work. How is your work and family balance? Do you do you have one? Is there not one? Oh, it's massive. Like I I I think um, so. Right now, it's intentionally out of kilter. Right, because I, like I'm solving for the problem that needs to be solved in order to maintain what we have for my family. But because I'm so close to them the rest of the time, Iden, first of all, okay, it's not a beard. I just shaved this morning. Okay, like, fuck, just judge a guy. One day I actually accidentally, uh, one day I accidentally shaved off my whole beard and my daughter walked in and she said to me, Dad, you're hideous. And I was like, okay, don't make that mistake again. Don't. Like, I've got to keep a little bit of stubble, but it's just, it's just the lighting. Um, yeah. Dude, I think my family, we're, we're highly balanced. We do a lot together. We're very close. Uh, we eat together almost all the time. We, hey, Sean, we, we, um, it, it's very rare, actually, that I have to work this, this much. Uh, in fact, last year, so I traveled a, a ton. I was only at home twice for seven weeks in a row the whole year. And yet still, Jazz says she felt like she spent more time with me last year than this year, just because I've just been behind the computer doing it. But we communicate a lot, we talk about it, we went away as a family, we wrote a credo, so we actually sit and we worked on what is her, like we went away on four weekends, myself, Jazz, and the kids, we worked on what is her credo, what is important to us, it's actually on the wall over there, and, uh, sorry, tank. <laughs> and that's what we hold ourselves accountable to, and we can call each other out on it all the time. Yeah. So that's family amazing. is everything. Like uh, nothing else matters. Uh, even making money. Like I don't need more stuff. I just want like more time. That's the only thing I'm solving for right now. Is how can mm -hmm. I how can I own my own time? Yeah, I I, uh, I I quickly realized that in the beginning of this lockdown that it didn't matter what I was doing with work, it was all canceled. Um, it was all screwed. And 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 family was there. Family was 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 here every single day and, and it is what's important um you know lockdown can happen jobs aren't there but at least i've still got my family at the end of the day um and it's something that i'm trying to balance Zombie. in general so nobody else um, is here they've all walked around the estate which is like breaking the law so i'm gonna just uh, go and shut this one up yeah so dude that, that's what it has been for me is this being family has been a at least on the outside, uh, just the, the glue that's held everything together made life so much easier. And it's also helped me prioritize because you just constantly figure out what are you doing. And then the other thing is um, the team at the office, uh, realizing that uh, 
there's a community there that uh, we've got they're, they're really valued around. I think it's very cool. I don't know how it's been working for you with work and things, but um, it's been a big deal. Yeah. Um, um, would you would your employees say you're a great boss? So I'm not the boss. Uh, I stepped down many years ago. Sam is the boss. Okay. Uh, I think at, at times when I'm needed, I can jump in and I can be a leader. I can I, I can do that. I can help lead the way in certain ways. Uh, I think they probably get frustrated with me more often than not. But I would hope that at least during this time, they're probably relatively thankful that I'm there, trying to actually create what needs to be done when it's when it's running. But I think that I get very distracted very easily, and I actually don't think I'm a good. Um, I don't think I'm a good boss or or manager. I, I like I, I I don't like the detail. I don't like doing things. I get distracted easily, so that's why I kind of moved away. But I really enjoy helping create the direction, and um, I actually love doing some of the learning stuff and the the, the things that aren't managerial. It's just not my strong point. Yeah. I don't know. You'd have to ask them, but I imagine. They would probably say nice things <laughs> up front, but I think they they probably get pretty frustrated at times. I think I hope they they think I was reasonable. Okay, okay, and and I think that makes sense of of being a a good boss versus a good leader. Um, I think I would take a, I'd rather be a good leader than a good boss. Um, I I don't know why, but I feel that's more suitable, uh, more respectable, I guess, title or someone to look up to. Um, I've got. Oh, but listen, their boss, um, for what it's worth, uh, uh, Sam. She's, I mean, they love her. She's amazing, but she's also tough and hard and detail oriented and all those things. Uh, uh, and she's also a great leader, by the way. It's not to say she's one or the other. Uh, she's right. both, and I'm one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I've got a question here from someone. It says, in your past life, you were a stage and hand lighting tech. Uh, what bands did you work for? And do you actually want to be a rock star? <laughs> no. Uh, but, so I, I toured with a number of bands. Like I was lucky enough. Uh, Iron Maiden came to South Africa. <coughs> and I was on part of the touring crew. I was an intelligent lighting operator and designer. So it was the very beginning of moving lights, lights that kind of did this. Up until that point, lights, you just, you, you put a color in them and you turn them on and off in an order and it flashed. So most of the big lighting designers at the time that I got started, they still wanted to be behind the, the switchy on and off desk. Uh, and so they would generally find somebody who would specialize or uh, who would operate moving lights. And I got lucky on two things. Uh, first of all, Shaka Khan came to South Africa and uh, needed to, to program some lights and they didn't have the operator for the lights we had. And my, my boss, uh, Bill Lawford, used to tour with Madonna. He said to me, listen, can you figure this out? And I took a light home. I programmed all night. And, uh, and then I, I came back the next day and I was like, yeah, I can do this. And I programmed the show for there. And then uh, a few weeks later, Iron Maiden, they brought their full show, but their disc uh, got wiped. And they lost the entire beginning of the X Factor. And so for two days, I worked with the LD, and we came up with the whole show again. We reprogrammed the moving lights. So in 2021, wow. I was able to program the lights for an Iron Maiden world tour, which was pretty rad. I uh, toured with Bon Jovi, sure. Def Leppard, yeah, a number of others. Sheesh. And would you, um, would you have liked continued, would you have liked to continue into the music career a bit more or not so much? 
So I never had the interest in being a musician. Maybe like in my punk rock days, so like when I was very active in the punk rock scene, like I fantasized about the idea, but like it just wasn't going to ever be my, my journey. And so I went the other way, myself and Andy, we started Cochrane Records, which was a South African independent punk rock label. But um, no, I think what I would, like when I fantasize about it, when I, when I play out that trajectory. So when I moved off the road into the business side of, of Gearhouse, my boss said to me, you're wasting your talent. And I always think, I still think now that, like, I think I could have been, I think I was, I think that was the thing I was I'd probably been the best at in my life is lighting design. Like, I just had an eye for music and lights and, and building sets. And I sometimes, like, this, I, I don't think it would be a regret, but I sometimes wonder, like, what would my life have been like if I, if I decided to carry on? But I can tell you what the answer to that was, because it was relatively simple. So I was offered a job at a company called Scottco to start doing some big international tours. And I was dating my ex-wife at the time. Uh, we were like 17 and 19 when we met. And she said, you know, if you obviously, if you're going to go away for a couple of years on tour, there's no way we must just break up. And I thought about it. Then I, start, I said, well, I don't want that. So I stopped. And um, uh, we got married. We had kids. And even though, like, we got divorced, like, for me, it was still a successful exit because I still have these two amazing children. So anytime I try and fantasize about if I should have done that or not, it's like a bit of a no-brainer for me. However, I still one day, the only reason I want to be, like, rich is I'm going to buy, I specialize in a light called an icon by Light and Sound Design. I want to go and buy the world's icons. I want to have a warehouse. And, like, I just want to sit there and people come in, they play music, and I just want to design their lights. That's, that's like, I could do that as a hobby. <laughs> So I, I fantasize about being a lighting designer a lot more than I would fantasize about being a rock star. Although, the, you know, obviously, you know, the blowjobs would be great. Did, yeah. Did you, um, uh, like, whenever I think of lights, I think of, like, dramatic effects. So you got, like, one dude on stage, and you just have that one light on him. Did you ever have any moments where you, like, had a dramatic effect where, like, yeah, wait for it, wait for it? Yes. So let me, so one of my favorite lighting stories, and I try not to like roadie story too much. By the way, one of the ways you do that, it's a, a cool trick. How you get those lights so perfect, you take a uh, mic stand and you take a Valpre bottle and you, you tape the Valpre bottle to the top of the mic stand. And what you do is you move it around and then you program, you put the lights into their thinnest beam and you pro to find, to make sure you hit that spot, you go and then that light, when the beam hits the Valpre bottle, it explodes. And so that's how you get those, that, that shot that's so perfect where all those lights are just coming down on downstage center on that vocalist. That's how you, how you build that up. Anyway, so I was on tour with UB40. And, uh, and my boss had said to me, I was the, one of my fun things, used to race up the, the scaffolding, up the side of the truss. So we'd go as fast as we could. So we're in uh, PE, I think it was, and, um, or Cape Town. And the, they had this, the scrim, you know, the area that kind of, that picture that's in front of the speakers. Uh, so okay, so yeah. if you imagine there's a stage here, then you've got the two speakers there, and you put the big backdrop there, kind of thing. It's called the script. Right. So what had happened is the wind was blowing so hard that it looked like the scrim was blowing, blowing, and they were worried that it would break off and fall down like this. And even though it wouldn't have hurt, it was a very light aluminum pole, and it's the lightest material. It wouldn't have hurt anyone. People would have started charging backwards to avoid it. It would have looked like the stage is falling down. So my boss says to me, uh, this guy, Tim Dunn, he's an amazing, we were so lucky. At the time that I joined, it was like unbelievable. So we had this guy, Tim Dunn. He, he'd also toured with like Madonna, the Scorpions. He was like 
we've got to get up there and cut this down. Do you have your Leatherman? I said, yes. So we ran up and we were running kind of the stuff thing like this. So we're going up and up and up and up. And we get to the top and he says, cut the cord. And I reached forward. But what I did is the age old thing of the, the cliche of the guy sitting on the branch and sawing it off this side is I was holding on to the scrim and I cut it like this and the wind took. And luckily Tim hadn't um, cut his yet. And I was, I flew off the stage. So I'm now dangling above the audience, holding onto this <coughs> pole. And like, I said, like, even for a second, it was probably half a second. Because the one second I'm out there, and Tim just yanked this thing back, and he pulled me back. And we're at the very, very, very top of the stage. He pulls me back in there. I grab onto the standard, the big upright piece, and the ledger beside me, and I'm just holding on there. And then I started to cry. That was it. I was like, oh, So I started to cry. So he sits here, he cuts down his side, we lower it down properly, everything's cool. He says, okay, we'll be down there. Uh, he doesn't ever tell anybody this, like anything happened. He just kind of takes me off to the side and he says, he calls everybody Egg. He says, hey, Egg, um, do you have a show call? And um, I said, yeah, I'm on follow spots. He said, okay, cool. Let's get somebody on spots for you. I want you to meet me at the Dimorex when the show starts. I was like, oh, shit, I, I'm, I'm in big trouble. So I come, down, I come down to the bottom and I'm waiting there and I think I'm in trouble. We get another follow spot operator. And I'm standing by the Dimorak, so it's just off stage there, just off to the side of where the guys are kind of do their guitar changes. You know, when they go off there and they do that. And um, the show begins and they're playing the, the thing and Tim kind of has obviously finished what he was doing. And he came and got me and said, okay, come kiddo, come on, Jenny. Um, I'm probably like 19 or 20. And he takes me to the front of the very area where we dropped the scrim. And he said, sit down here. So on the place where the, the band kind of runs. And then we were sitting waiting. And we were just watching, they're playing their song. Now, in lighting, there's a light called a morphe. So this is a very long story, but it's like a story that really like anchored me. And that morphe is, you know, when you have when they're like a big chorus, like boom, and they turn on these big audience blinders and the whole stadium yes. lights up. They're at the top there, like Gwah! So we're sitting there waiting, and something comes on in the song, and he's waiting for the chorus, and Tim knows the cues, and he says, okay, and he's sitting there, and it's like, it's like something out of a movie, like you can make this shit up. And he put his arm around me, and then the chorus started, and as he went like this, and this big morphe came on, the entire audience uh, got lit up, and you just, like, thousands and thousands of people were just like, yeah! <laughs> and he turned around and said to me, this is why we do it, kid, or egg. This is why we do it, egg. This is why we do it. And I was like, oh. And that was and that, two things I realized. And first of all, I realized we're in the business of audience, right? That's all that mattered it was about. And the second thing I realized <laughs> is the absolute power of lighting to control the show's emotion. Uh, it's the reason why bands don't want to be the daytime of a festival. They want to be the nighttime of the festival. And part of the reason is because lighting can, can really... Uh, um, build people up and build artists up there just the way you light them if you uplight them like this they become larger than life it's an amazing yeah. discipline I, i'm obviously a big fan <laughs> i think i've bored yeah. some of your people away sorry about that <laughs> I, i'm interested <laughs> um i'm the one that asked the question and, and, and i <laughs> like that feeling uh and, and and it is the power of light like you really can control it and you know like speaking with al um you know he's told me about his shows and he always told me that having a show like in the evening was always the best because then that's when they can really work their magic with the lighting that they've created. And it really does change things. It changes dynamics, um, changes the mood. Um, so that was a good story. I totally agree with that comment. Lighting does add uh, what music score does. So there's a, there's a bit of content that used to be in our presentation training. We took it out because I understand how sensitive it is. Now I'm going to break like every internet rule. I'm going to discuss Adolf Hitler. 
But one of the one of the people that we were taught about when we were learning lighting design. Sorry, my dog wants me to throw something. Sorry. When we were learning lighting design, I've, I've broken the cardinal rule of throwing it once. Was how um, Hitler had this. Um, I can't remember his name now. I think it was Hess. Uh, this lighting designer, and they would engineer. They would light zeppelins. And at points in the speech, these these um, uh, xenon or carbon arc lamps would pull together, and they would start uplighting him so that he would plan his speeches. So when he got to those famous crescendos, they were throwing his shadow larger and it like grew him. And he actually used lighting design to move, to change his, his bearing to his audience. Cool. And it, it's a tricky thing because I think, yeah, there's, uh, yeah it, there's a lot we can learn from tyrants because anyone who could make people, <laughs> thank you, Lauren, anyone who could make people do bad, bad shit with the power of their voice, you've got to try and look at the engineering. Funny enough, and this is a total topic, I'm sorry. Uh, Trump is another example of that. Like, how can he get away with some of the shit he says? But anyway, that's a, that's a maybe we shouldn't. That's a whole other hour show. <laughs> somebody could, somebody said to me today, they talk about Donald Trump is the third that. rail. Yeah. Ugh. Do you know what the third rail is? Uh-oh. Well, I'd never heard the term. He said, no, that's a third rail topic. And I said, oh, what is the third rail topic? He said, a third rail is the third rail in the New York underground. It's the electric one. And if you touch it, you die. And he says, Donald Trump is a third rail thing. In your business, you can't, like, say anything. Like, don't talk about this guy because if you hit it, you die. So, yeah. Anyway, moving Fair on. Enough. Unicorns. Um, I, you know, one of the things that, uh, like, promoting um, having you on the show – there was a, a famous video uh, talk that you did on Goldcast that was, yeah. I think I've seen it on Facebook now. It's like 50 million views. I wish it was 50 million, 20 million, but I'll still take it. <laughs> and what, is, what does that mean? To, what does that number mean to you? Like, like some people I could see like that is everything. That is their ultimate goal in life. What does that number mean to you? Well, it's, I mean, it's complete ego, right? There's nothing else to it. And like, I'll take some degree of credit in that I did say those words and it was pretty cool, but like mm. they have an audience, right? So like, yeah. no matter what happened, like they were going to do well. I like my average video does a thousand views, right? So, so uh, if one video, if one company releases a video of me, does 20 million views and another video I release of myself does a thousand views, well, then I know. I'm not the, I'm not the magic ingredient. Uh, yeah. I do realize though, that that particular video obviously resonated with people. I, you know, I wouldn't That's have been so if it wasn't. And yeah. Um, yeah, like I think what I real, what a big eye opener for me is, is that is definitely not my trademark style. It wasn't. Uh, I tried to not be. I certainly never want to be motivational. Like I absolutely hate motivational speakers. If anything, I want it to be provocational. This is the only kind of maybe, and I, I would still see that because it wasn't like a nice story. It was a shitty story. Like it was a woman who died crying and regretting her life. Uh, it, was a it was trying to be, to provoke people. And um, if anything, it made me realize that, wow, that's the content people want. At the, at the beginning, I always thought they wanted me to be cheeky and they wanted me to be uh, uh, like funny. And I hated it because like I would, I would, get booked to the gig one year and then the next year they'd be booked back and they're like, oh, you're that funny guy. And it was always like killed my soul. So I'm always uh, like, like, I'm not a comedian, right? So like, I want to be amusing, but like, I wanted people to think I was clever and nobody did. Everyone just, I was always the guy who said fuck a lot or the guy who, 
And that's why, like, you'll never see me swear in talks anymore. I'm doing it now because we're having a casual chat. But if, if in talks, like, I, I'll maybe say shit. I'll very, very rarely drop the F-bomb unless it's well-timed for a specific purpose. Because I just didn't want that to be my shtick. And so the, the, resonant, the way that video resonated made me realize that um, maybe people want something different for me. And again, you know what? I'm 45. Like, I've got some gray hair. And you can kind of get away with doing a different message. A 20, when I start, what, a 28-year-old can't really talk to you about uh, living a life of regret. Like, it doesn't have that there. He can't talk to you about business and innovation and cool concepts. But for me to do this now, I think I can get away with it. And I'm actually quite excited about, like, like what I can be. <laughs> Call me off guard. <laughs> Did I talk about good jobs at LinkedIn? <laughs> wow, I don't remember. I actually don't. I didn't actually, I was in Dublin for my parents' 25th wedding anniversary, and I didn't, uh, got me to speak at LinkedIn in Dublin, which was amazing. I actually ended up going and speaking for them again in Chicago. Mm. I really don't remember talking about good jobs, but I do feel that it is possible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, yeah. I, I would have loved if maybe if a local dude has the audio clip, uh, please share it with us. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Dear me. I want to know yeah. what that story is. Um, yeah. So, Rich, on our, like, our audience, like, yes, it's, it's a lot of motorcyclists, but it's also a lot of entrepreneurs, um, uh, adventurers, people who travel a lot. Um, with everything that's going on uh, these past six weeks and things that you've learned, um, is there any type of message or anything you'd like to say if you had five minutes um, of sort of your learnings and your point of view um, over the past six weeks? Yes, there's a lot I want to say. Um, okay, and I get that this isn't, listen, I get this, maybe, maybe my business was a very easy business to pivot, but I've seen other people who are in their space who haven't. Uh, Here's the thing. I really do believe that at some point two years from now, we're going to look back and certain people are going to come out of this having won. If you're an entrepreneur, uh, that has to be you. That's your job, right? Just like doctors have to go to work on the medical health of the nation, uh, entrepreneurs have to go to work on the economical health of the, of the nation. That, that is your skill set, right? They, they, you're, you're turning the economic engine. So the first thing is I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are uh, talking about like the, some of the narrative is, you know, I just don't want to focus on making money right now. It's not a time to profit. Bullshit. You have to because if you make a profit, you can hire people. There are going to be people losing jobs and there's going to be other people creating jobs. And you've got a choice. Do you want to be, be the, the guy who gets rid of the jobs or do you want to be the person who creates them? So that's the first thing. The second thing is you're going to look back. Uh, two years from now, people are going to ask you, geez, how is that, that thing for you? And you've got to answer the question. And for most people, like I look at them and I think your narrative is going to be, what did you do during this lockdown period? And for most people, it's I complained a lot or I did TikTok dances or, and these things are all cool, by the way, as well. Like I'm also finding a bit and doing things, but I think yeah. that I want to look back and the net, the net memory of what I did was that I, I built something better. Like I made my business better. Like, like if I look back and we're chatting two years from now, you say, dude, tell me about the period. I want to say like, holy crap, that turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to my business. That was the kick in the ass I needed. And I'm so proud that when it happened, I didn't wait. I got out the gates quickly and I acted. And by the way, the first like two concepts we came up with, we were so proud of, didn't take at all. But it didn't matter. We just kept on going, going until we found something that hooked. 
And I'm hoping that I look back and say, and even by the way, if the business fails completely, I'll still look back at the time and think, my goodness, you gave it everything. Like you were on fire for those six weeks. You were alive again. Like I actually feel like I can call myself an entrepreneur again. For a, for a few years, I think, like I actually said in my EO group, I said, guys, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur at all. I think I'm entrepreneurial. I think I was entrepreneurial enough to start a business, and now I'm kind of stuck with it. Now I think, hey, man, yes, I'm back, and it's exciting. And I think that, that like, you owe it to yourself, if you're that guy, to, to light this flame inside you wherever it is and decide at the end of this period, like, I want to be one of the winners. Because the flip side of this is at the end of this period, I'm the person who whined and was a bit of a loser. What a waste. Like now again, I just want to say as well that I understand that that isn't possible for everyone. But just look what you've done with the show. You sat there for a while. You sit there thinking, and you're thinking, "Hey, why don't we? We can't do what we were doing, but why don't I create something?" And you created something that has material value that will continue after this because of this. Because I don't think this show in this format would have existed if it wasn't for maybe eventually. But in my mind, it was probably one of those things that you thought about doing and you flirted with, but there was never a kick in the ass. Right, so you come out of this with an artifact. Somebody asked you two years from now, what did I do? And maybe years from now, you have thousands of subscribers watching the show religiously every week, and you're like, wow, that happened because of the crisis. And I, by the way, I don't even like talking about COVID-19 because it's just the trigger. It's just the, it was just the spark and the flame. It's like everything else that has created this. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, sure. <laughs> um yeah, I, I think what's um, and I, I definitely played played a role in this is as the victim mentality, um, you know, like poor me type thing through all this, but you know, and I, I think there's some room for that during this time, but also there's there's ways where it's like, cool, I I need to survive, my family needs to survive, if if this is if this option of our business is no longer available, we need to find other resources that we have to make something work. Like we still want to fight and like Mona and I are both fighters and maybe we need to fight for something else in our business. And maybe other people out there who have been struggling through this, um, find a new way to fight and create an opportunity. I don't know. Um, I hope so. I, but again, I, know that I, like just lay that I know I can't just lay on my back and Say poor me. Um, gotta keep well, you can. People, people yeah. have. Yeah. Um, I just don't think. I just don't think. I, I can't. I can't understand. I just. I just can't get around what the value of that would be. And I do get that some people are stuck. We have to allow ourselves to be stuck for a while. I just want to say one other thing in this. And so, sorry, finish first because I feel like I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to go off on a tangent. No, no, I'm good. So I apologize. But um, I think that what we're going to find in this is that, have you ever seen the movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? It's one of my favorites. I know people hate on Tom Cruise, but it was, um, the, the video was, the movie was called Home and Away. And he was this like pugilist, this Irish fighter. And, um, and she was this kind of this posh girl and they ran away to New York. And what was his name? Tell me you like my hat. Ah. Oh. Shannon, tell me you like my hat, Shannon. Just tell me <laughs> you like my hat. And um, there was this great scene, and the idea was that they went away to California, and they, there's a, a race, and you run to where you are, and you've got to pick up a flag and then put it in the ground, and then that is your land. And it's a land grab, and it's a race. 
And what I think we're in now is a land grab for the new economy. I think mm-hmm. that, that um, we're, we're right, racing already, and we don't realize this, but there's a race on. And even if the finish line is only, even the starting line, have you ever done one of those warrior races? Yes, it's a lot of fun. So I've done a bunch of them, and we always did really, really well. And the way I did it, I did well, is by cheating. And I'm going to explain this to you. I'm not proud. Okay, like we did in the one, uh, the one we got to, like, I think in the teams, we were, in fact, Hemis, who's on the call, I just want to pop up, he was in the team. Like, well, um, <coughs> we, we got up to, to number eight or something, or maybe it wasn't Hemis, I'm forgetting now. We got up to eight out of, um, uh, uh, like, a thousand teams. And the way I, we did it is that we realized that your job is to get to the, the first obstacle quicker. And the way I cheated is that I pretended I was looking for somebody at the front of the queue. So there's a queue of people waiting to run the race. And there's people at the back and there's people at the front. And if you arrived late, you had to start from the back. Wait. So, I just, so I just stood there at the back. We say, Mike, okay, okay, I'll just be right there. Sorry, sorry. And people would just open up and I'd walk through and then... And then they would go and the mic on the right, and then we'd get to the front, and then they would just get there, and then you'd stand. And then they would just like, they would just let you go there, and there was no mic standing there. You just like, and so it wasn't so much, I didn't cheat once we started, but then we ran like a battle to help that first one. And the reason is getting a head start matters. And what I've realized is that the race hasn't begun yet, but what I've done in the work leading up to this through the quarantine is I've got myself a better place. So when that, when that thing goes, I actually get off very, very quickly and I can get to the first obstacle before the rest of the crowd does. And I think that's going to hold me in good stead. So I think that people can allow themselves to lie on their back for a while, but I think they need to realize that there is a bit of a land grab coming and you've got to get out the gates quickly. And if you're trying to own a new category of a new space, you need to own it fast. It's, it, it's funny you mentioned that, that tactic. Um, when I used to race mountain bikes, my tactic um, was that I would get to the start line first. I would get there, let's say, an hour early, and I would be up at the front, and I would sprint as fast as I could to that first opening of the trail because if you're at the back, you've got a funnel yes. through all funnel. of those people. And, you, and then if, you, if you're faster than the guy in front of you, you've got to wait for a gap to pass him. The heck with that. I can't do it. So I learned over the years sprint through the through the beginning and then if people want to pass they've got to come past me but i'm going to be the fastest one out there and they've got to come past me i don't want to worry about passing you later out the gates quick i like that that's where we are this is where we are right now right and the good news is it's not too late the 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 starter pistol hasn't fired we've not triggered off the economy in the way we think it is yet it's going to be a while make sure that you have a good seat a good departure point before you go. Otherwise, you are going to be stuck in the funnel. So, Rich, on that note, I think that is a great place to stop because I'm going to, the timer is going to come up that I've got two minutes left and I think that's a great um, departure point. Um, Rich, to me, that was an amazing show. Um, I think that's why I dreamt about you for two nights. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks. It was was just... um, it was great to hear what you had to say, what was on your mind. Um, it was nice to spend some time with you for an hour. And thank you to everyone who was on the call tonight, um, watching like you do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night. Uh, this show will be available on Apple Podcasts tomorrow. 
Rich, I'll send you a link um, tomorrow as well. It'll be on our website starting tomorrow. And yeah, that's it for tonight. Everyone, thank you so much, Rich. Thanks again, dude. Yeah, thanks, brother. Good to see you. Appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, everyone. Have a great evening. Bye.